0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers are ready for their first playoff game of the 2021 postseason. And here comes a team that's been responsible for some of the Packers' worst playoff moments of the 21st century. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. And boy, boy am I happy to actually be here with you, ready to go, ready to start talking about football. Because it's been a while since we've been able to talk about an actual meaningful game last time around. It was week 17 against the Minnesota Vikings nearly a month ago at this point. And here we are. The opponent is known. By the time you're listening to this, we're under 48 hours, 36 hours to kick off, maybe 24 hours if it's late Friday for you. Hey, it's close. And I don't know about you, but playoff games, anticipation-wise, are tough for me. It's been funny as I've gotten older, and obviously further and further removed from the time of my life when I've done my own sports competition things, I've noticed that I feel more nervous and anxious about games that I have no actual impact on than games that I I played in, you know, through high school and college and things like that. Weird, isn't it? We're sitting here worrying about the San Francisco 49ers or, you know, last weekend, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Rams, the Cardinals. Who's it going to be? And now all this week it's been, okay, the 49ers. We're hearing about Debo Samuel. We're hearing about George Kittle. We're hearing about that vaunted 49ers rushing attack. And now here Thursday night, it feels like all I've been doing all week is just slowly inhaling, and this just makes it feel like I just can't let it all out but the game is almost here, and it's time to talk about actually getting this game going. So where do the Packers stand? Randall Cobb, back and expected to play, officially off injured reserve. Jair Alexander and Zedaria Smith tentatively back. Matt LaFleur says we'll find out on Friday, but there is a plan, theoretically, he says, for them to play. Whitney Merciless sounds like he's going to be good to go. Same for Billy Turner. Kingsley Kiki, well, he's been cut, and we don't know the full story yet. We'll find out more here fairly soon, but can't win them all, I guess. And then in come the San Francisco 49ers, a very, very familiar bogeyman for the Packers. You've got the specter of 2019 looming over this team at Lafleur's first season, and boy, did they get hammered in the NFC Championship game. But going back a little bit further, you've got Colin Kaepernick in 2012 and 2013. Going back a little bit further, you've got the catch part two, the 1998 season. Yes, Jerry Rice did fumble, but it's been quite a run of Packers playoff defeats at the hand of the San Francisco 49ers, and there was a win over them in the early 2000s there too, but it's been rough against the San Francisco 49ers as often as not, so I understand if people are a little bit leery of facing the 49ers, but I've got nine pages of show notes here. Let's take this team apart and see what we can learn about them and how the Packers stack up against the San Francisco 49ers. Making the playoffs by beating the Los Angeles Rams in the final week of the regular season, in comes the San Francisco 49ers offense, led by Kyle Shanahan, who runs the show as the play caller for that offense. Running, of course, that wide zone scheme popularized by his father. They don't call it the Shanahan tree because of Kyle He's considered an extremely creative offensive play caller, and we'll see that with some of the guys that we talk about throughout this preview here. But Matt LaFleur even went so far as to call him a savant this week, and I'm not going to disagree with Matt LaFleur. Seems like he's a pretty good offensive play caller. You can question his merits as a head coach, but he's designed some very successful offenses wherever he's been. Washington, Atlanta, now in San Francisco, he's had success everywhere he's gone. Cleveland, maybe not so much, but what can you do? They're the Browns. Trigger man in this offense is Jimmy Garoppolo, 30 years old in his eighth season. Believe it or not, this is just the second time in his career that he has appeared in double-digit games in a single season. Between playing in New England and tearing an ACL with the 49ers in 2020, he's been limited to very few games. On the season so far, middling, I would say, at best. 301 of 441, passing for 3,810 yards, 20 touchdowns. 12 interceptions. The advanced stats like him but don't love him. He's 10th in defense-adjusted yards above replacement. That is the overall value stat popularized by football outsiders. He's 5th in DVOA. That's their value per play. Defense-adjusted value over average. DYAR, the, the overall number DVOA per play value. He ranks pretty well. In those numbers, but we'll start to see why exactly that is here in a second. Pro Football Focus has him graded at a seventy four four point two for this season. That's basically a mid to low end starter uh, that's the third best mark of his career though so a pretty good season for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo overall he leads the league in both yards per completion and net yards per attempt, pretty solid there too but A lot of that is due to the 49ers scheming open a bunch of catch-and-run opportunities for their receivers. In particular, Debo Samuel. And we'll talk about Debo's stats. And boy, are they impressive here in just a little bit. We all know that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't the answer for the 49ers. They know that. But I think it says something about where Trey Lance is developmentally, that they don't have him on the field. You can be frustrated about the Packers picking Jordan Love, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I've got my issues with that pick. But at least the Packers aren't sitting the third overall pick from a particular draft class behind Jimmy Garoppolo. And speaking of Trey Lance, I know Kyle Shanahan says that Garoppolo is going to play this week, and we got to proceed as though he's going to. I would be 0% surprised if we get to Saturday afternoon and suddenly the word out of San Francisco is well actually it's going to be Trey Lance and it was the plans for plan for Trey Lance to play all along i know there's you know you're not supposed to do that but this is the playoffs you're going to get whatever edge you can the 49ers offensive line really helps this offense go and you see why when you look at some of their grades they are pro football focus's seventh graded pass blocking team that is one spot higher than the packers and they're the number 1 graded, run-blocking team in the league, considerably higher than the Packers, who come in 23rd on the year so far. Passing-wise, if you haven't heard about Debo Samuel and George Kittle in San Francisco, let me welcome you to the universe. I'm really excited that we have newborns listening to this podcast, because it feels like all I've heard about this week is Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, and a little bit of George Kittle sprinkled in there, too. Throw in Brandon Ayuk, and you've got the 49ers passing attack. Those three... Fellows have combined for 299 targets in the regular season, out of 497 total passes thrown by the 49ers. You get it. If they're going in the air, if the ball's going into the air, it's going to Samuel Kittle or Ayuk, the vast majority of the time. Debo Samuel's a unicorn. We'll talk about him in the run game too, but he has the eighth best receiving grade in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus right now, and he averages a monumental. yards after the catch per catch. That is by far, by far the highest among receivers with 100 or more targets in the NFL. The next closest is Jamar Chase, averaging merely 7.2 yards after catch per catch. In a normal season, we'd be raving about what Chase has done after the catch this year, but he is a distant second to Debo Samuel. George Kittle, you should know the story there. He's been one of the best, if not the best, tight end in the NFL for some time now. You can quibble between him and Travis Kelsey, maybe Rob Gronkowski. Statistically, Mark Andrews is having a better season. I think Kittle is more dangerous because he lines up differently than Andrews. Andrews basically plays like a big wide receiver. Kittle lines up in line more than any of the big receiving tight ends in the NFL right now. He puts his hand on the ground near the formation 58.1% of the time. For comparison, Andrews does that just 21% of the time. Travis Kelsey, just 27% of the time. Rob Gronkowski, though, 57.4% of the time. And if you're pitching the idea of a tight end who's a more athletic Rob Gronkowski type, that comes across as pretty scary to me. Finally, there's Brandon Ayuk. I would describe him as a light version of Debo Samuel does a little bit of the same stuff, but lines up a little bit differently, not appearing in the backfield as much. In fact, not even in the slot as much. He lines up as a wide, true wide out, wide to the formation on almost three quarters of his plays. I think that's more than you'd expect from a guy built like him, a, more of a willowy slot receiver type. He too, great after the catch for the 49ers, 6.1 after the catch per catch. Real good. In the run game, Debo Samuel is the headline. Elijah Mitchell is the story. Averaging 4.7 yards per attempt on 207 attempts so far this year. Scary enough by himself for a Packers defense that is a little bit vulnerable in the run game. Debo Samuel, though, who lines up all over the place, is averaging 6.2 yards per carry on 59 attempts so far this year. Scoring eight touchdowns for his trouble this season. He'll get it on jet sweeps. He'll get it on traditional handoffs. He'll get it all over the place. And the 49ers want to make sure they get him the ball. Circling back to Trent Williams, he's somebody I want you to focus on. The, again, Hall of Fame left tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. Look, normally pointing out the best player on a team isn't that interesting, but he is a Hall of Fame caliber player having a Hall of Fame caliber season. And he kind of got a root for him in a way because he extricated himself from a very toxic situation in Washington. He survived a cancer scare. Now he's playing at this level. Hats off, man. Pretty incredible. So. How do the Packers stop this offense? In the passing game, most of it is routed through the middle of the field, the short middle and the intermediate middle. So you're probably looking at a lot of cover one with Darnell Savage in the short middle of the field. That may be the plan, but if you're a little bit concerned about Darnell Savage and what he brings to the team tackling-wise and just closing-wise, I'd understand if you're a little bit worried. I am a little bit worried, but I think the Packers can get it done. In the run game, if the Packers just—or excuse me—if the 49ers just stay with their normal stuff, I think the answer here is just tackle well, make sure that you you hit and wrap up, and do what you've done all season. They did a good job slowing down the wide zone uh, early in the season. They shut down the Vikings doing something similar. The Packers have had success against that that particular offense this year. But if the 49ers go to a more power or gap-oriented run attack, more straight-ahead downhill stuff, think. What the Cleveland Browns did against the Packers in Week 16, the Packers are going to have to go heavier. And that's where things, I think, could get a little bit more dicey. And I don't think the 49ers will be quite so apt to give up on the run abruptly and in in clutch situations as the Browns were. Overall, to slow down the 49ers' offense, the Packers need to play complementary football. Get ahead and stay ahead and make Jimmy Garoppolo, who's pretty banged up, by the way, throw them back into the game. On defense, D'Amico Ryans is calling the shots for the 49ers. He is a first-year coordinator, and you may recognize his name because he played 10 years as a linebacker in the NFL for the Texans and Eagles. He was previously a quality control coach for the 49ers, as well as a linebackers coach under Robert Sala. He runs broadly the same scheme as his former coordinator did, wants to rush four guys and drop seven been pretty effective for the 49ers so far this season. They are ninth ranked in scoring defense. They are third in yards allowed. They are seventh by football outsiders DVOA number. They are fifth overall in grades by pro football focus. For that matter, though, the Packers are third. Take that for whatever you will. There's one thing that I think is fairly odd about the 49ers defensive numbers, though. As good as some of those other ones are, they rank 24th in scoring percentage. That is the amount of times that an opposing team's drives ends with points. Bottom quarter in the league in allowing scoring drive. Pointed out on the last pod that teams can and do put up points on the 49ers defense. The Packers have done it before. I think they got to bank on doing, doing it again. If there is a weakness to this 49ers defense, it's pass coverage. They're 14th by grade, they're 16th by DVOA, and I think a big reason is why why is that they don't get turnovers. They rank 26th in the NFL in interceptions. In their secondary, Emmanuel Mosley and Josh Norman have both been targeted more than 60 times in coverage this year. Both are allowing on catch, catches on more than half of those targets. Norman in particular has been so bad that they've taken, they've taken him off the field on defense altogether the last two times they've been out there. He played zero snaps on defense in week 18 or in the Wild Card round. You can bet that Aaron Rodgers is going to be watching for number 24 if he is out there on the field. Overall, and again, I know I'm citing pro football focus numbers a lot here, but they have been graded above a 65 as a team coverage unit in just two of their last six games. However, their pass rush is very legit. They have four different guys with a pass rush grade on the season of 78 or higher on 100 or more pass rushing snaps. Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead are doing most of the damage there, and we'll talk about that damage specifically here in just a second. In terms of run defense, the 49ers are pretty good. Seventh in the NFL in yards per attempt allowed. Their run defense grade is a 65.7 from Pro Football Focus. Sixth best in the NFL this year. Safety Jimmy Ward is a big reason why. He spends a lot of time in the slot, a lot of times in the box. Those two areas account for more than 40% of his snaps, almost 40% of his snaps on the season, and he is their best graded run defender, having missed just two tackles on the year. Ward incidentally went 30th in the 2014 NFL Draft, and a lot of people had him mocked to the Packers on the assumption that a familiar name, HaHa Clinton Dix, was going to go higher than 21st overall. He falls to the Packers there. Packers take him, and they're reasonably happy for a couple years, then reasonably unhappy for a couple more, and ultimately trade him to Washington. I wonder what the Packers would have done if Clinton Dix had come off the board earlier. Would they have taken Jimmy Ward, who I think has proven to be a much better player than either HaHa Clinton Dix or Calvin Pryor, both considered can't-miss prospects at safety in the draft? Makes you wonder. Alternate histories, of course. If you're looking at one guy to watch on defense, other than Nick Bosa up front, I would direct your eyes toward middle linebacker Fred Warner. Theoretically pretty similar to Devondre Campbell here, both tall, light linebackers, six foot three for Warner to six four for Campbell's Campbell, both pretty light, like I said, two thirty-six for Warner to two thirty-two for Campbell. Both run about a four-six forty-yard dash, plus or minus a couple hundredths of a second. Warner soaks up a lot of responsibilities in the middle of the field for San Francisco, but surprisingly this year, very few plays on the ball. No interceptions, four passes defensed, a fumble forced, and half a sack. I mention him because, one, he is important to their defense, but second, because he has an ankle injury, and that would be a big loss for San Francisco in the middle if he can't play. He's expected to play, but if he can't or if he's just a little bit hobbled, I think it's worth remembering why that is want to talk just specifically about production ratio here for a second. The 49ers have a bunch of productive pass rushers. They have five guys who are over 0.7 on the season, but there is reason to believe there could be some holes in their pass rush too. Nick Bosa is having an insane year, a production ratio of 2.14. Nuts, obviously. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on him. Obviously, he's good. Everybody knows about Nick Bosa. Aziz Al Alshair, the outside linebacker, has a production ratio of 0.85 on the year. Primarily tackles for loss, two sack, sacks and one tackle for loss for him on the season, but he has been limited in practice this week. I expect he will play, but that is a trend to watch. Bosa, too, limited in practice this week, but was a full participant Thursday. He's going to be on the field. There's there's no doubt there. Bumping down to third, you've got D. Ford at a .83, but that's only in six games because he's hurt and on injured reserve. Eric Armstead, .76, Consistent pressures, gets a lot of heat on the quarterback, but not always converting that to sacks or tackles for loss. Finally, DJ Jones, the interior defensive lineman, racked up a production ratio of .71 so far this year. I mention him because any time an interior defensive lineman is putting up a number like that, it's worth watching because, especially for the Packers, with a few questions inside, Josh Myers, basically the same situation as David Bakhtiari, just a few snaps in week 18. Now they're going to try to roll him out there and see what happens. I think there is reason for concern. Speaking of reasons for concern, we didn't talk about David Bakhtiari up top, but he was limited, in fact, until entirely held out of practice on Thursday and listed as questionable on the Packers' final injury report of the week. I'm betting he plays, but the fact that he's listed as questionable is, I think, a little bit concerning. If you're going to pack, attack the 49ers' defense, I would direct the Packers' attention to the passing game. Just throw, baby. Because I think if you go max protect and can help out a little bit on the pass rush, chips from Deguara, from Daphne, Mercedes Lewis just being a six offensive lineman, I think you can count on Devontae Adams getting open no matter what the 49ers do there. And if not, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard. And if not, Devontae Adams or Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb. Options are going to be there in the passing game. The Packers should be able to move the ball here. And if they can move it enough... It's going to really help out their own defense. Real quickly, 49ers special teams, not great. 24th graded unit by Pro Football Focus, not great, but better than the Packers. 26th by DVOA, the worst kickoff return unit in the league. Yes, even worse than the Packers. Their kicker is Robbie Gold. He's been solid on the year, 20 of 23 on field goals, a long of 52. He does not typically handle kickoffs for the 49ers. Punter Mitch Wischnowski does that usually. He's only got 21 touchbacks on 56 kickoffs, though. That's a rate of 37%. The Packers are going to have some kickoff return opportunities, and the 49ers not great at covering kickoffs. Punter again mentioned Mitch Wyschnowski. 45 yards per punt for Big Mitch on 57 kicks this year. Net average of 40.5, though. Touchbacks and punt returns have been an issue for the 49ers. Returning kicks, usually it's Jermichael Hasty. He did it for him last week. Normal returner, Trenton Cannon, who did it for most of the regular season, is on injured reserve. Hasty had two returns for 29 yards last week. Cannon, though, is designated to return, and he averaged just over 20 per return on 16 returns this season. Brandon Ayuk does a lot of work on the punt return team, though he was off of that unit at times last week. Maybe the entire game. Did not see the entire game, so I can't say that for sure. But this season, he has averaged 7.2 yards per return on 29 returns. For comparison, Amari Rodgers averaged 8.3 per return on 20 returns himself. Other than the the, the fumbles, the muffed punts, Rodgers, better than Brandon Ayuk. Not too shabby. Last time the Packers saw the 49ers was way back in Week 3. Packers won 30-28 to on a 51-yard field goal just as time expired. Started fairly strong. Yash Nyman derailed the first drive with a face mask, so the Packers had to settle for a field goal, but came back and scored a touchdown on their second drive, up 10 to nothing. Defense started pretty strong too, forced a couple three and outs, uh, stopped a couple conversions on third and fourth and one. Packers ended ended, ended up going up 17 to nothing midway through the second quarter, but then the weird stuff started happening. Big kick return for the 49ers just before the half. They punched in, And San Francisco pulls to 17-7. 49ers converted a third and long just after the half to keep a drive going and ended up scoring going to bring it to 17-14. The Packers went three and out to follow that. 49ers do the same. Packers go on a long touchdown drive, make it 24-14, but San Francisco answers 24-21. Then Devontae Adams gets blasted head-to-head. He is out for a couple plays. Packers pretty clearly shaken up by what should have been um, just a monster shot to the head call. But they go three and out instead. The Packers hold the San Francisco 49ers, get a field goal on their next drive to go up 27-21 with 2.39 to play. All good, right? No. San Francisco converts two third and ten plays to score a touchdown with 37 seconds to go. They get the two-point conversion and go up 28-27. to 27. Aaron Rodgers makes two big completions to Devontae Adams, though, with 37 seconds left. That drive starts, moves down the field, 51-yard field goal up and good for Mason Crosby. Time expires. The Packers win. So how do both these teams win this game? What are their paths to victory? For the 49ers, I think it comes down to ball control. Packers have played slow this year. They have allowed some teams to stay in the game by just not playing at a very fast pace. The 49ers can take advantage of the Packers doing that. If they run well, they can stay with the Packers, shorten the game, few possessions, make it close, pull it out at the end. Running well will open up explosive plays for their passing game, and they may not even need to run well to do that. But if they can stick with the Packers, they've got a chance to get the win late. That approach worked in Week 3, rallying thanks to some fluky stuff, sure, but once they got back into the game, they used that exact recipe to win. The Packers have to start fast. 17 nothing was great last time around, and it almost wasn't enough. The Packers have to pass well and then run when it's advantageous. I am not typically one to advocate for the run game, but the 49ers are going to try to sit back and stop the Packers playing cover-two-shell, stuff like that. They are going to have some advantageous numbers in the run game, and if they've got those numbers, they need to run. A.J. Dillon, it's time to make yourself some money. Okay, deep breath. Who's going to win? The 49ers' strengths match up really well with the Packers' weaknesses. They run the ball really well. They attack the middle of the field really well. They've got a great tight end. But, The Packers' strengths are also a good counter to the 49ers' strengths. It's not that they necessarily are strong where the 49ers are weak, though their passing game would seem to be a strength that uh, corresponds with a 49ers' weakness. But if the Packers pass the ball well, if the Packers just move the ball well and keep putting up points when they have the ball, it may not ultimately matter how well the 49ers can run because they probably can't do it well enough to run themselves out of a hole. I think the Packers win... 31 to 24, and if you're going by the current line, that is both a win and a cover. I wouldn't say I'm confident, but I believe the Packers can get this done. Most voters in our poll this week think the Packers are going to win, but the number as of this recording was just 88.2%. That's actually pretty low. The seventh time this season under 90%, more than a few games were lower than 882 but Generally speaking, that a number under 90% doesn't show a lot of confidence for voters who respond to our poll. But again, plenty of games have been lower. Week three, for instance, just 31% of voters that day, that week, thought the Packers would beat the 49ers. And look what ended up happening. By and large, the Packers controlled that game, and they came out on top. I think the Packers are going to come out on top again here. I think they're going to advance to another NFC Championship game. And I think this time around, it's Super Bowl or bust. We said that a long time ago, and I've written a piece at thepowersweep.com to that effect again. The Packers don't have any excuses in the 2021 NFL playoffs. Previous seasons, you can say they're banged up. They've got a young team. They've got a young head coach. All of these things. All those things are true, for sure. Definitely. But this time around, no excuses there. Matt LaFleur is 13-4, and better than 13 wins or better than, well, he's got 13 wins for the third straight season. He's got all his big guns back. David Bakhtiari should be back. Josh Myers should be back. Aaron Rodgers is healthy. Devontae Adams is healthy. Billy Turner back on the field. Zedaria Smith, Jair Alexander should be back on defense. The defense is playing well. They've got all their personnel healthy. The Packers have no reason that they should be feeling anything less than confident in this game. They've got to go out and win, though, because no amount of excuses are going to bail them out. If they would end up losing this game, it's pretty much an indictment of every part of the team. I don't know. I guess maybe not Brian Gutekunst. He's done just about all that he can. But if Matt LaFleur can't beat a team that he's better than with his entire roster basically healthy, if Aaron Rodgers can't beat a team that is weak where he is strong, if the Packers can't slow down a running attack they know is coming, how do you feel anything but gutted by that outcome? And how is it anything other than a complete failure considering what the Packers went through to get this team together this year? Is put up or shut up time? That's what's great about the playoffs. Even if you do have excuses, if you lose at the end of the day it doesn't matter how good those excuses are. You're where everybody else is in the NFL that comes up short of the Super Bowl, at home and watching. I don't think that's where the Packers end up after this week, but if they do it's going to be their own darn fault. So I've got for in this episode. We'll see you Saturday night, maybe early Sunday or Sunday morning, hopefully celebrating a Packers win. I'm excited. I hope you are. I hope you will consider joining us in our Discord server to talk with other Packers fans from around the world. Got to be a Patreon supporter to be there. Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep to join. I recommend trying to get in before, uh, before the game on Sunday. We'd love to have you there. We'd love to have you supporting The Power Sweep and Blue58. And we'd love to just talk Packers with you or whatever else is on your mind too. Short of that, I hope you'll continue to support Blue58 by sharing these episodes. This one in particular... Sharing episodes is the number one way we grow. It's the best way to get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn ultimately helps all of us, me included, become a smarter Packers fan. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.